Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is beginning a new series as we talk about the life of David, a man of faith and of failure. But before we get to that, we want to take a moment to invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions, just look us up online. We're at calvaryfayetteville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at info at calvaryfayetteville.com and we'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Again, Pastor Kirk's message today is the beginning of a new series about the life of David. He'll be looking at 1 Samuel 8 in a message entitled, Give Us a King. Let's listen together. Well, today we begin a brand new series of messages focusing on the life of a man after God's own heart. And it wasn't man that made up that phrase. God himself said that. And of course, I speak of David, David a shepherd who became a king. While he was a man after God's own heart, you know, if you know the story of David, that he was far from perfect. In fact, he failed not once or twice, but many times. In fact, he is a bit of an enigma to us. For David, you will find other men and women in Scripture who appear to live more noble lives than David. So why in the world is he considered a man after God's own heart? When he failed in his marriage, he failed in his family, he failed the people uh, over which he was their king, and most of all, he failed in his walk with God. So why do we call him a man after God's own heart? Well, he is an example to us and an encouragement to us, and we too fail, and if we can learn to fail by failing forward, as David did, then our lives too will be lives pleasing to the Lord. All of that will become clearer in the weeks to come. It'll actually take us a couple of weeks to get to the story of David himself. We've got to set the backstory, and that's largely what I want to do today. And then next week, and then Lord willing, two weeks from today, David is going to enter the pages of Scripture for us, and we are going to begin to learn from his life directly. Before we can really fully grasp the story of David, though, we need to remember uh, the backstory and what God is doing in leading up to this story. And in fact, I think we have to go back to the very beginning and remember what it is that God was up to by creating man to begin with. What was God's purpose in creating mankind? And it is a key truth that I've shared with you many times before, and I'll share it with you again today. It'll be on the screen, and it is this. God's purpose in creating mankind, male and female, was to raise up a worshiping community that would declare His glory. 
God's people, the people that came by his own uh, creative powers, were raised up to be a worshiping community, a community. Now, take a little journey with me through history leading up to where we are for our reading today. God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in a beautiful garden, a place of perfection. They knew fellowship with God. They had a relationship with God unlike any single person besides them since the time of creation. They walked and talked with the Lord daily, but they failed. They disobeyed God, and they were expelled from the garden that was created for them. Then in Genesis chapter 4, down through about chapter number 11, we read of Adam's family as it begins to spread through his children. And we have the lineage of Seth, and we have the lineage of Cain, and we see uh, God's family. And finally being exterminated, all but Noah and his family, but then beginning to spread and expand again. And when you read about some of those characters in Adam's family, for those of you who are old enough to understand what I'm about to say, some of them were about as weird as Adam's family. You remember the old TV series? That's the inside joke there. Well, finally, in in Genesis chapter 12, we find God singling out one man, a man by the name of Abram. He was a sun worshiper living among pagan people in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And God called him out and gave him some promises. He gave him a promised land and he gave him a promised lineage and he led him by faith to the land of promise, the place we know as Israel today, though initially promised much larger than what is just Israel today. And he said, uh, Abram, now Abraham, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky, like the grains of sand on the seashore, so great in number. But it did not happen quickly. In fact, some 215 years after the time of Abraham entering the promised land, 70 members of his family, under the leadership of his grandson Jacob, they made the pilgrimage away from the promised land down to Egypt because of a famine in their homeland. And things were so good there in the land of Goshen in Egypt that they ended up staying there for some 400 years. And it was there that they really began population-wise to explode. And over that period of time, this family grew to some two and a half, maybe three million people. But they wore out their welcome in that land. There arose a leader of Egypt 
that distrusted them and enslaved them. And so God, through a series of miracles, God affected the release of these people, Abraham's family. These people, he affected their release to travel back to the promised land. Now in a journey that should have taken them maybe a couple of months at the most, ended up taking 40 years in the wilderness because of their stubbornness and because of their disobedience. God had to give time for a whole generation of those people to die off because they were idolatrous and they were disobedient. Finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, and by the way, during that time, he basically constituted them into a nation of people, not just a family of people. He gave them at Mount Sinai, he gave them civil laws, that would help them to uh, live together as a people, identifiable people. He gave them ceremonial laws for how to worship him, a sacrificial system, all pointing towards Christ. And he gave them moral laws that revealed his very heart to them. And finally, after 40 years, they ended that pilgrimage by entering into the land of promise. God not only miraculously brought them in, just like he miraculously brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, he miraculously brought them into the promised land through the Jordan River. He uh, helped them defeat their enemies. And though they did not obey him completely, they only partially drove out their enemies, God warned them that these people, these pagan people living among you, they are going to be thorns in your sides and they are going to be barbs in your eyes. They will plague you and you will have to deal with the consequences. And so in order to deal with that idolatry that his people continued to fall into through cycles over and over again. For 400 years, he gave them judges. And we read about this in the book of Judges. And these judges were not judges like you and I think of judges seated behind a bar in some kind of, you know, white wig and some black robe. These judges were deliverers, men and women. They were military people. They were uh, people, sometimes very uh, worldly people. But he would raise up a deliverer, raise up a leader that would throw off their enemies and lead the people back to God. And they would follow God for a while, then fall into that cycle of paganism again, just over and over again. The period of Judges, some 400 years. Now, from the time of Abram to the time of the first king that we're going to read about today, King Saul, Understand that from this time, there was some uh, 14 generations, some 950 total years uh, that transpire. And we come to the end of the period of the judges and we move into the period of the kings. Okay? And so that's where our text is is today. And because chapter 8 is not a really long chapter in and of itself, but it's long for a text, for a single message, and the entire chapter will be our text, 
because of the length of it and to prevent us from having to read it twice, one time through and then back through as we work through the points of the message, I want to share with you four transferable truths, four eternal truths, four timeless truths that we can find in this chapter that speak to us and apply to us now all these 3,000 or so years later. Now understand, folks, you have to be very careful when you read and study the Old Testament. We fall into all kinds of problems in the Old Testament if we're not careful because we tend to take ourselves and put ourselves in the center of the story back then. And we often find ourselves trying to apply the Old Testament in ways that are misunderstanding and misapplying it. We'll learn that especially in the story of David and Goliath. But in order that we don't do that, we look for the timeless truths that, that are not just true then, but true now. And these are the lessons we take away. So what I want to do, I want to share with you four timeless truths from this passage. And with each one, we'll read our way through the text. Does that work? Good, because that's the way we're going to do it. Number one, number one. When God's men fail and fall, there are often grave results. When God's men, God's preachers, God's prophets, God's priests, God's leaders, and in some respect, all of God's people, when God's people fail and fall, there can be grave results. Let's begin reading with verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, understand, in the other 400 years of history, when a man or woman, whether it was Gideon, whether it was Deborah, whoever it was, when they became judges, they became judges at the word of the Lord. Samuel made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. We'll pause our reading for this first point right there. When God's men fail and fall, there are often grave results. Now keep in mind, this is not the first time that one of those who were seen as leaders, as judges in Israel, that they failed. We find that Samson was a miserable failure morally. We find that others, Gideon, fell into idolatry. 
And if you go back and, and remember who the priest was, Samuel was a prophet, priest, judge. He kind of wore all three hats, okay? But before Samuel, you remember, it was a man by the name of Eli. Do you remember Eli in Scripture? And Eli had two sons as well. And Eli's sons were Hophni and Phinehas. And the Bible describes for us how Eli's sons had just failed miserably, how they were wicked men. They were immoral men. They cheated the people. They burdened the people as priests. And they were miserable examples of what it meant to be God's men, sons of the high priest. We find that basically they died. God saw to it that they died. And when he got word that, that, that his sons had died, Eli fell out of his chair, broke his neck, and he died. And so this wasn't the first time. Samuel had grown up in and around the tabernacle with Eli serving as his substitute father. Remember, he had been promised to the Lord and given to the Lord. And so he grew up under Eli's care. He knew Hophni and Phinehas. He knew what kind of lives they lived. And yet Samuel's sons turned out to be wicked men also. We don't know about their morality as far as, um, as, far as sexuality and other things like uh, Hophni and Phinehas. But we do know that Joel and Abijah were cheats. They sought to profit off of the ministry of being priests and judges themselves. Most Bible scholars agree that Samuel, like Eli, failed as a father. Even though Samuel was a good man and a faithful prophet and a faithful priest and a faithful judge, he did not do so well as a father. Now, there's a side note here that you need to be aware of. And that is, for those who are children of God's men, of God's leaders, whether they are male or female, those who grow up in ministry homes, those who grow up under the microscope, under the spotlight, so to speak, as being the preacher's kid. You need to pray for them. Life is not easy for them. And oftentimes, we, uh, men of God, we make it even harder on them that it ne than it needs to be because we are so constantly aware their choices might reflect on us. And that puts an undue pressure on them. And oftentimes their walk with God can be hindered because of us and because of others. You need to pray for those who are the children and grandchildren of God's men. But remember, remember the words of Nathan when David, we're going to read about his failure later. Do you remember what Nathan said to him? Nathan the prophet Nathan said, David, you have given the enemies of the Lord a reason to blaspheme, a reason to slander God. Your poor choices, your failure as a king and as a leader has given the enemies of God 
reason to blaspheme the name of God. And so that's what I think is affecting this story right here in this very first point, that, that Joel and Abijah were giving the people of God a reason to not want to live as people under God. And instead, they come and they demand a king. Give us a king to follow. When God's men fail and fall, there are often grave results. There are consequences to our choices, folks. We need to remember that. Point number two. One of the worst things that can happen is for God to give you what you want. One of the worst things that can happen in your life is for God to give you what you ask for. We take up our reading with verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so with those words from the Lord, the period of the kings now is a part of the big picture. And remember this, the period of the kings of Israel is going to last for more than 500 years years. Now follow me and remember that for the first 120 years, they are going to be ruled by one king at a time. Three kings total, about 40 years for each one. Saul, David, and Solomon. When I was a walk through the Bible, uh, uh, Old Testament instructor, we had motions for taking people through the story of the Bible. And this is what we said about those three kings. Saul had no heart for God. David had a whole heart for God. Solomon had a half heart for God. So for 120 years, the nation of Israel is one nation. It's referred to as Israel. And they are under kings, three of them, Saul, David, and then one of David's son, Solomon. But at the end of Solomon's reign, there's going to be civil war. And the nation of Israel is going to split apart and fight against each other and finally live as two separate nations. There's going to be 10 tribes in the north 
and they are going to keep the name Israel. There are going to be two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the south around Jerusalem, and they are going to carry the name Judah. Understand, of the ten tribes in the north, known as Israel, they are going to have, over a period of some 400 years, 20 different kings. And of those 20 different kings, do you know how many of them are going to be good, godly men? You're exactly right, zero. Not one good, godly king of the northern kingdom, Israel. Judah is going to have 19 kings in and around Jerusalem and the hill country of Judah. 19 kings. Do you know how many of them can be considered godly, good kings? That's right, two. Only two in the south. In other words, it's going to be a miserable time of failure. And at the end of 400 years, they are finally going to be snatched up by their enemies. They're going to be killed. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be carried into captivity. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is for God to give you what you want, and what you ask for. They wanted a king. God said, okay, Samuel, let's give them a king and watch and see where that goes. Point number three. From this story, we're going to read, begin reading in verse 10, and I want you to understand this. Now listen to me because I have an idea that, that maybe for some of us there may be some pushback to this point. And the point is this, all human government is flawed. All human government is flawed. Verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men, and the word there very likely could read cattle, and the best of your cattle and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. All human government, without exception is flawed. 
There is no right form of government. There never has been in the history of the world, and there is not today, and there will never be any right form of government except when a government is a righteous government under the leadership of the Lord. We have seen a taste of righteousness from time to time in history. We read about it in the Bible. But it's ever so brief because human government is always led by humans. And human government is made up of sinful people. Notice what he said in verse 11. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons for his armies, for his chariots, for his fields. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and bakers and uh, cooks. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your cattle and the best of your donkeys to do his work. He will take your male servants, we've already said that, he will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall become his slaves. Six times we read the words, he will take, 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 he will take. And not one time did he say, he will give, or he will provide. Or he will share. The only king who ever gave to you is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who gave his all for you. And this is the very one they didn't want to follow. They wanted to be like other nations. They wanted a king. Understand, folks, today, we are no different than they were. We are no different. Like the Israelites of old, we want some king, some president, some political party, some government to do our work for us and to provide for us. And because God does not do that the way we want Him to, we turn our attention away from God and cease to follow Him and try to follow some man, some party, some government to do it for us. Okay. You are forewarned. What I'm about to say will probably be the most political thing you'll ever hear me say, all right? At least in this pulpit. 
our country is in a world of hurt. We are in a mess. And we are a mess. The answer to our dilemma will never, and I repeat never, it will never come from Washington. The answer to your problems and your needs will never come from Washington. It will never come from Little Rock. It will never come from some city hall here in northwest Arkansas. There is no political party that can save us. And let me say this, and it is my opinion only. If the two front runners at this point for the office of President of the United States, if the two front runners right now are the best prospects for the job, then we are worse off than anyone can ever imagine. If either one of those two men are the best that this country has to offer, we are so far from God. We are so deep in the mire and the mud that there may not be any extricating ourselves out of it. This is the best we can do. Perhaps we, like Israel, have gotten what we've asked for. Give us a king. There is no right form of government. It's not the fact that a king is, is an ungodly form of government. Did you know that back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God was giving the law to his people, he referred to the time that would come that the Israel would have a king. And he talked about what that king should be like, that he should be God's choice, that he should not enrich himself off of his office, that he should not have multiple wives lest they turn his heart away from God. So having a king, it's not that a dictatorship is an evil form of God necessarily. Most dictators are evil, but it's not the form of government that's bad. It's not that democracy is God's way. It's not. A democracy is no more God's way than any other form of government. Understand, there are no right, godly, biblical forms of government. Just because you have the privilege of vote, which, uh, to vote, which is a wonderful privilege, and I'm glad to live where I live and under the government we live under. But understand, that does not make this a Christian government. It has to do with the people that are in the places of leadership. And we see very little, if any, godliness coming from those seats of power, whether it's federal, state, local, or what. I'm not saying that they're not there. 
And folks, it's not that we don't have enough laws. Did you know that if you look up the Library of Congress and ask the question, how many laws do we have in the federal government? You know what you're going to find? Nobody can tell you. Even the Library of Congress gives you a long article, but basically it says, nobody knows. We can't even count them all up. It's not that we don't have enough laws. Listen, God gave his people ten, and they couldn't keep those. You cannot legislate morality or godliness. Understand, all government is flawed. Don't look to it as your savior. I fear that the only thing that will bring us back to God is great, severe hardship. It was that way for Israel, under the judges and also under the kings. For you see, when they got so desperate, so overrun by their enemies... So brought to their knees by famine, plague, and all kinds of other things. That's when they turned their hearts back to God. Beloved, believe it or not, on one level, COVID was a blessing to the Lord's church. You know why? And I, listen, please. Please, I know that it may be that there are family members here, people who you, maybe you lost a loved one, and that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is the way that a pandemic two years ago thinned the ranks of the Lord's church by some 40%, by and large, those that it thinned were cultural Christians only, not true followers of Christ. Because if you can, quote, get out of the habit of going to church and nothing draws you back to God and nothing draws you back to the church, I want to suggest to you there was nothing there to begin with but a habit. I like the habit of people coming to church. I wish some of you had a better habit of it. I say that in all love. I just do. I just do. I wish others who have their name on our church rolls had a greater habit of it. But beloved, if it is only a habit, it's not going to get you to heaven. Well, okay. Point number four. All government is flawed. It is not an answer to our deepest needs. Number four, God didn't preserve and plant Israel to be like other nations. Two times in this passage, verse 5 and verse 20, the people said, this is why we want a king. We want a king so that we can be like all the nations. 
so that we can be like the nations, so that we can have a king like Egypt has a king, so that we can have a king like Syria has a king, so we can have a king like the Edomites have a king, so that we can be like other nations. Samuel, give us a king. Numerous times in the Old Testament and in the New, we find a prophet or an apostle or even Jesus recounting what all God had done in calling out and separating himself a special people. We read about how he had separated people for his glory. Remember our key truth where we started this morning, that God created man to be a worshiping community. And we read about how God miraculously did this, calling them out of Egypt, calling Abram out of Ur the Chaldees to have a people called to himself. And that includes us. God had to call you out of your sin or you would never be saved to this day. You didn't choose to leave your sin. God called you out of that. God gave you the want to to be out of that. And he has preserved us. He has planted us. He has protected us. And it's not so that we would be like the people of the world around us. Why do you think God called out a church? Why do you think God called out Israel? It was to be different. Let me, I, I could read to you from now till our picnic today and still would not exalt, uh, exhaust all the verses that say that. But listen to these two passages in particular. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Moses is saying to the people, we are not like other people. Our God has separated. We are, we are his uh, precious possession. And Peter picks up that idea in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In short, you are unique and different. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not even a people. You were nothing. You were nobodies. Alone and lost in this world. But now you have been gathered and called and now you are God's people. You are God's nation. And so when that nation, be it Israel or be it the church today, any time that we say we want somebody else to follow besides God, we can live by our own wisdom instead of God's. We can go our own way instead of God's way. Understand we are turning away from our very purpose in this world. Now the Lord gave Samuel 
a bit of consolation and explanation when he said, Samuel, understand, they're not just rejecting you. They are rejecting me. They're not just rejecting your sons, evil though they are. They are rejecting me. And Samuel, by your identity with me, yeah, it's you too they're rejecting. But don't try to bear that burden all alone. They are rejecting their true king. And that, my friends, is the bottom line. Will we accept and embrace the Lord as our king? In our daily living, will we be content and satisfied to be ruled by the one who gave himself for us? Don't live by your own wisdom. You don't have enough wisdom for that. Don't try to follow some other man or some other party or, or some other government or power that is recognized in this world, for they don't have the answer either. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The decision they were making on that day, give us a king, not realizing that they were bringing in the period of the kings and it was going to be by and large a dismal failure. Understand, we have to make the decision every day in our own hearts. Will Jesus be our king? And this chapter closes with these words. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. Father, thank you for these words. We have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of your word. We know where it's going to lead. Perhaps they did not know because they weren't listening to you. Father, help us to know that these truths that are born out in their story are truths for us today. Father, don't give us everything we ask for, for oftentimes we don't know what's best. Father, help us to live for you and not give the enemies of the cross reason to slander your name. Father, help us to remember our rescue can only come from you and no one else. Father, I pray that you would just guide us as a church and as families that we would honor and glorify you by bowing our knees to you every single day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. 
If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.